I'm Dan, and if you're new to homebrewing, so am I. Welcome to My Adventures in Homebrewing. Hey everybody, it's that time once more to go around the world one more time and have a beer or two along the way. Uh, thanks for coming out one more time and listening to the podcast. Greatly appreciate it. I'm Dan, and uh, I gotta say a quick thanks to the folks over at uh, Five Star Chemicals, especially Emily Lovato, uh, for being on the show and telling us about some of the cool new stuff they have coming online, and also some of the proper procedures to use things like PBW and also Star Sand. What Star Sand could do for passivating also stainless steel was actually kind of cool to know. I didn't know that. Then again, I'm still learning. So it's all good. So uh, if you guys ever get a chance, please uh, leave me a comment, leave me a review on your app. If you're using Apple podcast, or if you're doing it through, uh, say, Google podcast, or whatever it is that you actually use for your podcast listening, greatly appreciated. And if you get a chance, go over to my YouTube channel and uh, have a look at some of the videos I've got going on. Uh, I all, uh, my videos for the vanilla bourbon stout experiment, uh, uh, part one is already up. Part two will be getting edited soon and then it'll be up and rolling as soon as it's done. Uh, the first batch is already fermented out. I cannot believe it's already fermented out. It's been done in a week. It is the yeast the guys from Escarpment Labs sent me is absolutely phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. So we'll touch more on that later. This week, we're going to be talking with Garrett from Progress Your Beer, and we're going to be talking about how to make that, I guess, the elusive, perfect, or a list, perfect to you, uh, New England IPA. Garrett, how are you doing? Good, thanks. How are you? Good, man. So um, we got in touch through a mutual friend, uh, Coulter, down in Colorado. So thank you, Coulter. Um, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the beer scene? All right. So uh, I started um, at an engineering school uh, in college, uh, Colorado School of Mines, and I was in a chemical engineering course. And um, and my senior year, uh, it, it happened to be the first year that they offered a brewing science course. And it was taught one of my by one of my favorite professors who was just he was in the barley breeding program at Coors he was really influential there and just all around an amazing dude and he really got me to really fall in love with brewing and so I started home brewing then and um, continued brewing at home um, even after I graduated and all that uh, and when I got my first job which happened to be um, in, in an, at an environmental engineering firm and I, I enjoyed it. Um, I did some laboratory work there. Um, I was out in the field, but I wasn't 100% happy with what I was doing. Um, and then this packaging job opened up at, at a brewery local to me, which is Ska Brewing. And um, I applied for it and I went in my interview and they were like, oh, wow. It's we're taking a chance on you because, you know, I'm a I'm a flight risk with kind of um, just my education and stuff. They're like, well, why are you applying for this job? Because packaging is it's a it, it's an entry level position and it's not glamorous. It sucks. Right. Uh, <laughs> and um, 
you know, I just kind of worked my way through and um, just kind of stuck my nose in, in place and, and just did everything I could to get into the brew house. And uh, here I am. There you go. So I take it you've been a home brewer for a while. About since 2015. So five or six years. Okay. So, and what have uh, you felt? Uh, what do you, what do you think about when people say I cannot make a proper say IPA or new England IPA? What are some of the, the hiccups you're finding that people are doing? One of at the homebrew level anyway. Um, so I, I can look at it from both sides, uh, a homebrewer and a professional brewers. So homebrewer, first thing that comes to mind is beer stability and um, what they're doing at packaging. How, how are they packaging to eliminate oxygen or to help um, reverse those oxidation reactions that can occur um, uh, if you introduce oxygen during your packaging and stuff. And then if it's a professional brewer, initial, it, initial thought is, how are you treating your water? Mm -hmm. Is there a specific water profile that you need for a New England IPA? Um, yeah, not exactly. Um, and this was kind of one of those things that I um, kind of got, conf not confused with, but it was one of those things that I was really focusing on was those uh, chloride to sulfite ratios and making sure that the chloride was two or three to one to sulfate and all this and that, and still stuff wasn't coming out right. Mm -hmm. But what you really need to be looking at um, is your residual alkalinity. And um, I figured this out when I was going from my tap water. And then I was just like, okay, I don't know what's going on. Um, and then I went with reverse osmosis and built my profile from there. And it turned out amazing. And I was like, okay, now what's the difference between my water and reverse osmosis? And how can I get my own tap water that, that I use every day to, to come out like a distilled or reverse osmosis. Mm -hmm. And, um, it, it was the alkalinity. Oh, so how do you address something like alkalinity if, say, like someone like me, like I just go and take my tap water, drop a bunch of Camden tablets in, over, let it sit overnight, and then I ramp it up in the morning. I mean, I admit, there's a lot to water chemistry um, <clears throat> out there that you, I guess, as you progress, you learn. To be honest, I that type of chemistry I hate. <laughs> uh, understandably. But, yeah, but... I enjoy making beer. I mean, I I tried making a New England IPA. I mean, um, let's just say it, 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 it fermented, it carbonated, and the first first taste out of it, it was like, okay. The second taste of it, you were on your ass, and that was it. There was no flavor. It was just all, all alcohol. But uh, how do you avoid something like that? I mean, for, for a home brewer, what do you need to do to make sure that you're getting those uh, proper uh, profile so you avoid the alkalinity so uh, I would say if especially if you're first starting out just go with reverse osmosis if, if you can find it um, I personally find it you know like 
if you're going to the store and getting 10 gallons of still those little gallon jugs every single time you want to brew a, a light style of beer, such as a New England IPA, that's a little, um, a little extreme. Yeah. And, and so if it, but, um, when I was working with reverse osmosis, I just had kind of those like big five gallon jugs that you could go to the grocery store and refill. So mm-hmm. I, I wasn't too upset with that. Um, but if, if that's where you're wanting to start, it's super easy and you don't really have to pay attention to any acid additions. Just add a little calcium chloride and a little calcium sulfate and, and you're good to go. Um, there are calculators if, if you want to go as granular as putting 300 parts per million, parts per million chloride or 100 parts per million parts per million sulfates if you want to do that that's fine um but just adding a few grams of each uh, in some distilled water is perfectly fine and that's going to give you some great results okay so when you're building your recipe what are the some of the key components that you want to make sure that are in there i mean obviously you need your base melt but what else do you want to add in there to make a really good new england ipa so, and this kind of comes down to personal preference, obviously, as all brewing does, but um, a lot of people like to put flaked adjuncts in their New England IPAs, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm not the biggest fan of because um, those tend to have higher concentrations of uh, heavy metals, not like dangerous levels, but these, these metal ions that uh, catalyze oxidation reactions such as manganese and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The malting process actually reduces those. And with a style like New England IPA, I want to reduce as many of those as possible. And so something like malted wheat and malted oats are, are really nice. I like to do those at about um, 10% each. And then um, you can certainly do more if you want but that's where i found really nice louder ability and still getting that nice haze uh, that you're looking for and mouthfeel and um throwing something in like golden naked oats gives you a more kind of not toasty but a little more i don't know it's just a really nice flavor if you if you've ever tasted golden naked oats by themselves they're they're almost like a breakfast cereal you would want to eat and Mm. so I like throwing those in and that's about it. Keeping it nice, light, and simple. Okay. And what are you, what, what is your go-to hops for this? Cause I've used things like Simcoe, Mosaic, Citra, Equinox. I mean, I turn this thing into a, a hop bomb, but where I work part-time at, at a brewery, um, I think they only have three types of hops that they actually put into theirs. I was putting like something like six just because there was a hop blend that uh, Yakima Chief put out that I wanted to get and I couldn't. So I just looked what was in it and I recreated it. Um, what do you use uh, or what should I, I should say, what do you recommend that people use for hops? I mean, if you are, so first of all, it's going to be, uh, you want to be looking for quality in hops, not just varietals, um, but quality of hops. Um, I've personally found uh, Yakima Valley hops. Uh, they cater to home brewers um, really well. And um, 
I'm sure there are others out there, but that's my personal favorite for the for the homebrew level. Mm. And um, if, if you're going for just that stereotypical juice bomb, there's Citra Mosaic Galaxy. That's like the holy trinity of hops. <laughs> I um, using those in a pretty much equal proportion split between those three is going to give you an incredible beer. It, it won't be very different from, you know, say someone who's uh, and any other brewery out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it, it will give you the results that you're probably looking for if you're brewing a New England IPA. And then some of my more, uh, some of my favorite, more adventurous hops um, for this style, I would say I, I'm falling in love with Strata hops, um, just like everyone else. Um, and then also experimenting with some, uh, noble hops is interesting on the hot side, um, because they have compounds, um, that will, that will turn into others during fermentation. Um, Bravo is especially good for this in the whirlpool or as a, uh, as an initial biotransformation quote unquote, um, hop because it's really high in geraniol and that will change uh, uh, through a metabolic pathway. The yeast will change it into uh, beta citronellol, which is where you get that really orange juice character that a lot of people strive for in New New England IPA. So pairing that as a base with whatever hops you want to explore, whether it's just total juice, or if you want that kind of like a mosaic where it's some dank and some some tropical fruit um it's totally up to you okay so those are like those are some of the main components i mean when i the yeasts to me are is the actual engine and the actual um force behind making the wart into beer i mean yeah it takes like almost a day to make the wart but it takes weeks for the yeast to make the beer so I would say like a good quality yeast that you know is going to perform in a again, and usually uh, New England IPAs are between six and seven percent, so it's relatively high in the alcohol volume. So you're going to want a yeast that that has the right attenuity or it can perform in a high alcohol content environment. Um, the company that I like, I like to, go to go to is called uh, Escarpment Laboratories, and they produce one called Foggy, Foggy London Ale yeast, and I yeah. use that for any hazies i do and it rips through it like a beast um are there any other yeasts out there that you would would suggest for this yeah so i'm i'm sure you've heard um the whole you want a low flocculating yeast um to stay in suspension and and make that haze um which is really not the case so uh, that escarpment London London fog, foggy, or foggy London. London. Yep, um, I'm sure that's a, a certain strain of something like um, London Ale Three from Y Yeast or something like that. Do you know? Um, I'm not sure to be honest. I I know the guys at Escarpment. They strive to make their own strains of yeast. So, and Richard is a microbiologist. So I would, I would 
bet dollars to donuts that they they develop these themselves yeah for sure there there's going to be um differences so when someone says um a y yeast equivalent for uh white labs or what have you they're not going to be exactly the same they're going to be similar but definitely not the same and mm -hmm. so um so what they have that foggy london um it sounds like an english strain and those tend to be perfect for new england ipa because they are really high flocculating so they're going to come out of suspension um pretty quickly and that's why um london ale three and stuff they, they tend to have lower attenuations because they flock out mm -hmm. so well and so quickly um something like that um and then those also uh, not just flocul flocculate well they create really nice fruity esters that complement the hops really well so that's why those English strains, um, basically almost any English strain that you can find is going to work really well for this. Some are definitely better than others, like WLP, which is White Labs, 007, they're like dry English strain, or I, I forget what it's called. It's pretty clean, well, relatively clean. So if you want to showcase just the hops themselves, that's going to be better. Um, but to get that really nice, uh, just juice forward flavor, London Ale 3 is going to be perfect or Foggy London or. Okay. okay. There's, there's just a whole bunch of those. Yeah. Okay. So we've covered kind of what uh, some of the ingredients you should have, uh, hops, the yeast, the water, the profiles. But to be honest, um, when I did mine, I totally miscalculated the water due to absorption of because i added in uh oats into mine and i guess i didn't really, really compensate for uh the uh amount of uh, liquid the oats would absorb so what are some key do's and don'ts when you're doing a new england ip that you should pay attention for in terms of Something like brew house efficiency or anything and everything, anything and everything. Oh, um, ah, there's the curveball. <laughs> yeah. So in your experience, what do you find are your do's and don'ts when you're doing this? My do's and don'ts are I. Okay. Let's start, um, actual, uh, wart making. Okay. Um, I do not use flaked adjuncts. Um, I do not um, use high alkalinity water. Man, that's that's going to be the killer. Um, and I know a lot of people uh, are even acidifying their wort. Um, breweries can't really treat their water super easily, mm -hmm. um, especially older ones that um, are already pretty established and, um, you know, have already utilized the space for other things. Um, so the water is extremely important. Um, let's see what else. Um, 
don't introduce oxygen when you are packaging your beer. Yeah, um, I think that might have been my fault on the last one I did. <laughs> yeah, I, I think looking at all of it, that's going to be my biggest don't is don't introduce oxygen. Unless um, if you are bottle conditioning, that yeast will help uh, drive off oxidation and absorb oxygen that you introduce. But something like transferring over from your carboy into a bottling bucket and like swirling that around and then putting that into a bottle, that's just... That you can do, wrong. <laughs> yeah, the, you're going to pick up so much oxygen. And I know, I know a lot of people are like, oh, your yeast will take care of it. But mm -hmm. in that time frame, it just, it, it can't do all of it. No, it, yeast can only do so much. It just can't make oxidation go away. Right. Um, to a certain extent. Um, so if you are going to bottle this, um, you can do additives like sodium metabisulfate or something, sulfite. I don't know. Yeah, sulf sulfite. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of that, um, but you can do it. And if you do bottle, bottle directly from your fermenter uh, if you can. If you've got like one of those, I have a little brew bucket. Mm -hmm. um, one of those stainless steel ones with a, it's got a little racking arm in it. So once your yeast is done fermenting, don't even cold crash it. That will all kind of settle to the bottom after fermentation's done. And then just bottle directly into your bottles, add the sugar to each bottle. And if you can purge, just get a little CO2 tank and purge the tops of each bottle and then cap. That's going to go a long ways. So yeah, that would be a, my advice is if you're still bottling and want to do New, New England IPA, mm -hmm. do it that way. And if you're kegging, purge your keg, do a closed transfer, purge your lines, all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, yeah, I got I got into doing the oxygen free uh, transfers because I have uh, <clears throat> excuse me two firmzillas that I can do that with, and I use uh, floating dip tubes. And so all I do is make sure the pressure is greater in it than the keg when I start doing the transfer, but it has been a godsend for making sure my beer um, stays drinkable and, and, and doesn't get like uh, attacked by the things from outside the keg, uh, like oxygen and whatever else. Um, but I, I totally agree that closed transfers are great. Um, if I would say if you are going to say bottle from uh, your fermenter to a, uh, a bottle um, instead of just using priming sugar, I would say go and you get the Cooper's carb drops and they're an easy measure. You don't have to like measure individually how many teaspoons of sugar or dextrose, or whatever else that it is that you need. You just drop the tablets in the bottle uh, as per the size and then you cap it and it's done. But if you're going to uh, do it and you want to do with CO2, I would say make sure you use something like a beer gun. That way you can actually give it a good blast of CO2 from the bottle and then fill directly from the fermenter into the bottle and cap it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If, if you have a kegging setup. Yeah. Yeah. You, you might that... want to invest in a, in a beer gun, but it, for me, it, if someone already has the kegging equipment, I'm personally not going to do a whole lot of bottles. Um, the, that's just, 
you know, for someone who is still bottling and, and does want to make one of these, that's one of those way I would suggest that's a way I would suggest. Um, but yes, a, a beer gun would definitely help a lot with purging beforehand, then filling it and then purging that little top bit again is, is going to go very nice. well. So what do you like for your grain bill? Like, uh, I mean, I know you said you, uh, you, you possibly use uh, naked golden naked oats. Um, but what else do you use in your grain bill? I mean, um, I know I use things like two row. Uh, I think there may be some, Oh man, I'm drawing a blank. Cause it was so traumatic. Um, what is, what, what is your grain bill then? Let's just cut to the chase because I can't remember because I got a mind like I said. Okay. Um, my grain bill typically is about uh, 75 to 80% two row or Pilsner. Um, there's not really much difference between those two when you're making this style. Um, and then I'll put maybe like two to 3% Munich uh, 10 or Munich 1 um from wireman mm. and that just kind of bumps up uh that maltiness a little bit which which i really like don't go too far on that because i've definitely made some like bread toast ipa which is pretty dissonant <laughs> flavor wise um so keeping that a little low just so it's more synergistic than like bam um and then the rest is going to be composed of uh, wheat malt and uh, malted oats. Any combination, I've done. I have. I've done it where it's all malted wheat um, and no malted oats. So about twenty percent malted wheat, um, and then the rest two row and a little bit of Munich, which is wonderful. And then I've done it with basically any combination of malted oats sprinkled in there and and golden naked oats. Um, keep those golden naked oats under. I would say 10% because um, they are a crystal malt and it can get a little, especially at such a high ABV and you're using so much grain. Um, too much of that crystal malt is going to be a little too heavy and a little too kind of cloying, at least for my taste. But yeah, okay. that's that's my grain bill in a nutshell. And, and it just kind of, I just play around with the proteins a little bit for each batch. Are there any, um, say shortcuts if you didn't want to get heavily into it that you could possibly take or things you could try and use instead of your normal grain bill or your normal ingredients shall we say like what do you mean anything For, is, it, can, is there anything that you can change up is it, i mean the is a recipe um say for a new england so stringent that if you want it, want it to be a certain way, it has to be verbatim uh, the way the way it's written. Or can you say, "Oh, you want to try and make it hazy?" And like, ah, well, maybe I'll try. Let's say maybe a little bit of Minnesota. Maybe I'll try uh, maybe some flaked wheat or flaked rye, or maybe throw a little barley in. Can you do that, or 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 would you really offend the purists of this style? Hell yeah, you can do it. That I. I, there's no, uh, I wouldn't say there's a whole lot of purists of the style. I think it's, it's usually the opposite. <laughs> Every time I've talked to someone it's, uh, about hazy IPA, uh, especially in the professional brewing realm, 
um, especially with old school brewers or, or like a, a traditional German brewer or something like that, it's like this style is blasphemy. <laughs> so, um, I, so it's funny how many times I hear that the New England IPA is just like, it's just so wrong, but I'm like, why is it wrong? <laughs> well, I, everyone kind of thinks that it's, it's bad brewing practices when, when in actuality it's, it's really not. Um, it's just not filtered. Uh, um, you're still doing these things correctly. Yep. And um, I know a lot of people like, like that, say some old brewery wants to put a hazy IPA out there. Um, they'll try all of those things that that f lore that they've heard because uh, they think it's just bad brewing practice. But uh, getting back on track, if, if you want to change uh, um, some of that grain bill, that's perfectly fine. J just kind of make sure that at least 20% of your grain bill is a high protein malt like wheat or oats, or you mentioned rye. Rye is great for that. Um, and something like rye is going to be, it's going to have higher beta, glu higher beta glucans. So it, it's going to act a lot like oats and really help with that mouthfeel um, that you're looking for, that nice silky kind of almost dense, yeah, dense sort of beer. And uh, yeah, that would be perfect for adding that, that protein that you want and, and then also getting the mouthfeel okay so are you finding that a lot of home brewers or like just in general the style is getting overdone because i gotta i gotta admit i'm not the biggest ipa guy i mean i do enjoy the odd one here and there but i'm finding that if you go to any brewery anywhere in north america everyone's got a new england ipa or multiples thereof or the predominance of their of their menu is all IPAs. Are you finding that it's getting overdone? Ah, see, I'm not sure it's overdone. It, it, it's there's a big difference in quality in so many of these. So uh, you'll go at least for me. Uh, just because of my area and where what our water is and stuff like that, a lot of these breweries are jumping on that hazy IPA bandwagon and trying to make these, and it they're just not good examples of the style. And I can't speak for every brewery out there, but in my experience, a lot of those just are not very good. Um, I've had. Uh, I've been lucky enough to have uh, a friend over in the, oh boy, I think they're in Massachusetts, um, but they picked up some treehouse in Trillium for me and brought it over when they visited uh, a few years ago. So I've, I've tasted these examples that are hi for sure. <laughs> I think I lost you there for a minute. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> That's okay. Oh. Uh, what, what was the last thing? Technical issues, dude. It's okay. Um, and I think you were talking about Treehouse and uh, or the beers that your friends brought for you. Oh, yeah. Um, 
and I was lucky enough for them to bring bring them over for me to try and I was able to try the quality of these beers and and just how good they were and so I and that's kind of what has pushed me to into learning so much more about this style is I've tried those really good examples that are just non-existent where I am and uh, regionality and um, and so I, I don't think they're overdone. Uh, I think people are jumping on this bandwagon so quickly because they want to make that beer that sells really well. That's because everyone's heard New England IPA and they're not very good examples. <laughs> I, I would say nine times out of 10, when I get a hazy IPA, either uh, in a can or on the tap room, it, it is just, it's not a good example. Right. So I, I, yeah, I don't think they're overdone. Um, and, and it's kind of sad because they can be such good beers, but with all these breweries just kind of jumping on this when, when they don't know exactly how it should taste, how it can taste, and, and then not really striving to get to that level, it's just kind of diluting the style. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, that's, that's, that's great. I mean, I agree that the style is probably just, um, or people just don't know how to properly approach it. So I guess, I guess is the, the one of the key takeaways I'm getting. Uh, I mean, I'm fortunate enough that where I'm at for a brewery, uh, we they've made a, an award-winning New England IPA here in Ontario, which is great. Um, and a lot of people have tried to cut the make clones of it, and they bring it in for us to try. And I'm like, it's nice. It's nowhere close, but thanks for trying. Um, one gentleman actually went so far as to ask our brewer for the recipe to try and do it the way we do it. And my boss was like, I can tell you what's in it, but I cannot tell you everything that's in it because then it's just like, what's the point of having a recipe if I'm going to be sharing it with everybody? Um, because there's no guarantee that he, he doesn't work for another brewery and they're just take it and do whatever. But that's my opinion. Um, I guess for home brewers, um, I guess... I'm finding the main takeaways is um, check your water. Um, I would say if, if you're able to get your water tested uh, to get what the actual water profile is and what you need to add for say gypsum or Epsom salts or whatever else to bring out the proper balance uh, is a good thing. Um, look at what your yeast that you want to use is and how it's going to react to a high alcohol beer. And, Research the style of hops that you want to use for the actual flavor profile, for the aroma profile. Is it going to be a juicy? Is it just going to be a hop bomb? Uh, and, and go from there. And then look at what you want for your actual ac extra additions for your grain build, be it flaked wheat, flaked, oat, uh, flaked oats, or the toasted naked oats. Or is there anything along the way you want to change? Um, I would say that's the main takeaways for a home brewer. Would you agree? Yeah. Uh, 
uh, if anyone's going to take anything away from this interview, uh, water, paying attention to your water and uh, reducing your alkalinity. Um, you can do whatever ratio sulfite to chloride. That's just personal preference at that point, whether you want it a little drier or the chloride actually helps drop out all that bitterness if you have a good amount in there. So if, if you just want no bitterness, um, go high chloride, um, but most of all, reduce that alkalinity. And then um, the second thing would be no oxygen post-fermentation. Okay, awesome. Well, Garrett, I think we've beat a dead horse to death yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I appreciate your time very much. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, guys, go check out Progress Your Beer's uh, website. Uh, there's, there's a lot of information there. Uh, I believe Garrett also have, you also have a Facebook page and, and all that other fun stuff, right? I just have an Instagram for now, but I, I'm working on it. I just, I made my uh, YouTube channel uh, last night. So um, I, I, I'm working in all of that stuff, but for now it's just Instagram handle is Progress Your Beer. And then, um, yeah, and then the podcast. Right on. Well, guys, go check them out. Uh, I think you also have, um, you have a YouTube channel, don't you? I just started it last night. Yeah. Uh, ah. I don't have, I don't have anything there yet, but uh, hoping to get some content out there soon. Right on. All right, guys. So check out Instagram, check out his podcast, check out the website. And once he actually has stuff to his YouTube channel, please go check out his YouTube channel. Garrett, thank you very much for being a part of the show. And uh, we'll make sure that uh, we touch base again for maybe some other things, because it's nice talking to a pro brewer to understand where we're going wrong. Oh, for sure. I would love to be on again. All right. Hang tight. Guys, thanks a lot for coming along for a beer or two along the way. And this is Dan, and I'll see you on the other side. Thanks, Dan. Hey, guys. I'd like to say thank you for Garrett for being on the show this week. Really appreciate it. Check him out on Instagram and also his uh, website, progressionbeer.com. And thanks for coming out and having a beer or two along the way, and I'll see you on the other side.